So this week we are continuing a sermon series that I've called uh, Faith Under Fire. And uh, last week we kind of got an idea of what that uh, faith under fire really means when we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their, uh, their little bit of trouble with King Nebuchadnezzar. And of course throughout this series we've looked at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these God-fearing uh, young men, some scholars think they might even have started when they went into captivity as teenagers, noble uh, by birth, possibly, in the, in the Hebrew community. But they were taken into captivity. They were indoctrinated into Babylonian uh, culture and language. And throughout chapters 1 through 3 in Daniel, we see... Uh, several instances where they stand up for their faith. Their faith is under fire and they stand up and they say, we are going to serve God. So in chapter one, we heard about Daniel and his friends uh, not wanting to eat the food that the king wanted them to eat because according to God's commandment, those foods were off limits. They were unclean. We're not supposed to eat those things. And they asked very respectfully for a change in the diet. And they said, test us, give us vegetables to eat, give us water to drink, and if we look frail, if we look weak, if we don't look like all the other guys that you have here, then we'll, we'll, we'll talk again. But they did. They were strong and God strengthened them through the vegetables and through the water and through his power. And in Daniel chapter 2, we saw Daniel interpret a dream. Not only interpret it, but tell the king what he had dreamed and then interpreted that dream. And we saw through Daniel the power of God to provide wisdom. The power of God to reveal mysteries that nobody on earth could reveal. And then in Daniel chapter 3, of course, last week we said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow before this, uh, this idol that the king had set up, even though they were threatened with death. And they said, throw us in the fire. God will protect us. God will take care of us. Whether we die or whether we don't die, we are with God and God is with us. And they were thrown into the fire. And of course, we saw the end of that where they came back out of the fire, unhurt, unsinged, not even having the smell of smoke on them because God walked through the fire with them. We saw in that chapter, somebody was in that fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God showed his power to physically protect his people. And with each of these events, the power of God is on display to the king and to all of his officials, all of his satraps and all of his governors and all of those people that were gathered around him. They saw this faith in action. They saw the power of God. They saw the things that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were able to do through God's power and for God's glory. And after all of these things, the king would acknowledge 
the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel 2.47, the king answered and said, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And in chapter 3, verses 28 to 29, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and has delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And then, of course, he goes on, therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and the houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. And if you are a fan of irony, this is a very ironic statement. God is the only one who can rescue anybody. But if you don't say that he can rescue anybody, then I'm going to kill you. This is the idea that Nebuchadnezzar still had about God. There were a lot of things he still needed to learn. And this morning, we're going to be looking at how he ultimately learned who the true God is. And we're going to be reading in Daniel chapter 4. Now, we're not going to read everything. It's a, it's a long chapter. We're going to summarize, point out a few things. But I do encourage you sometime this week, sit down. Read chapter 4 of Daniel. It is just an amazing event that shows the power and the glory and the mercy of our God. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they were captured by Nebuchadnezzar. And he had been king for a couple of years. And most historians agree that this particular event in chapter 4 happened near the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So about 35 years later. So this is a long time between chapter 3 and chapter 4. And uh, chapter 4 starts out much differently than chapters 1 through 3 because it shows a first-person account from the king about what God did in his life. This is the only chapter in Scripture that was composed by somebody who was not Hebrew, either by birth or conversion. God wanted us to hear this testimony from this, they would have called him a pagan king, somebody who didn't believe in God, somebody who didn't know God. But God wanted this to be included, and Daniel included this in his book. And we start reading in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's writing a letter. He's writing this uh, to all of these people. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. And already, we're seeing a different king here. We're seeing a different Nebuchadnezzar. This is not the Nebuchadnezzar who's been walking around and strutting around and saying, worship me and I'm the best and no other God is before me and all of these things. All of a sudden, or after 35 years, 
we see a humble King Nebuchadnezzar. Somebody that has much more humility than he did before. And we're going we're to find out why. Why is the king now acting in such humility? Daniel 4 verses 4 through 18 has the king telling uh, the people in this letter about a dream. And in verse 5, the king says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. And as I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. And of course, he goes on to tell about how he called Daniel to interpret the dream because Daniel has only been the only person that's been able to interpret his dreams. And he calls in Daniel and, and he says, look, I don't know what this means. It's scaring the daylights out of me. Tell me what it means. Now, at this point, when he had the dream, Nebuchadnezzar still was fairly arrogant. He believed that there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other gods and that the, the one true God was just another one. And then Daniel comes and he talks to the king. And he says, oh, or the king says, oh, Belteshazzar, chief, chief of the musicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, I want to tell you my dream. And he tells the dream. And the dream, again, read this, it's, it's, it's just, it's a magnificent picture. And it's about this giant tree that covers the whole earth. And the fruit of the tree feeds everybody in the world. And all of the birds in the tree, there's enough branches for all of the birds to come and roost under this tree. And the king tells Daniel after he describes this beautiful tree. He says, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and, and said thus, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from under its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. And then he goes on, and suddenly the dream changes again, and it doesn't sound like we're talking about a tree anymore. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. Now you remember the very first time that we talked about Daniel and the dreams. We talked about weird dreams, right? We talked about how our dreams sometimes go from one thing to another to another and it doesn't make any sense. And this sounds like one of those dreams. All of us, you know, we're talking about a tree and then we're talking about chopping down the tree and then it sounds like we're talking about a person. We're talking about a man. And this disturbs the king. I would be alarmed if I had a dream like this. But it disturbed the king and it alarmed him. And he saw that the, 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 the beautiful tree was gone. Everything was destroyed. Nothing was being taken care of anymore. The birds were gone. The beasts were gone. The fruit was gone. Everything was gone. And then there's this man who's acting like a beast out in the field. In other words, the man was going insane. 
But the most alarming thing to Nebuchadnezzar was likely not what happened in the dream. It was that he was told at the end of the dream why all of this would happen. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over, sets over it the lowliest of men. So this dream is like kind of all over the place. And the king doesn't understand it. None of his guys understand it. Daniel comes. And Daniel interprets the dream. But before he does, we read that Daniel is very uh, perplexed. He's worried. Because God has given him the meaning of the dream. And he knows that the dream is against Nebuchadnezzar. And he doesn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar that the dream is against him. And he's perplexed. He's worried. But that doesn't mean he's not going to tell him. He stands there in front of the king. We read, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the decree be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. But Daniel knows that's not the case. King, I really wish I had better news for you, but I don't. Daniel goes on to say that the tree represents Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Babylon and that it covers the whole earth, and that it feeds everybody, and that it gives shelter to everybody. And it's a beautiful kingdom. But there's a decree from heaven to chop down that tree. God's going to end the rule of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it's going to cause a lot of upheaval. It's going to cause a lot of trouble for the people. But God leaves hope. God leaves a mark that he intends to show his mercy to Nebuchadnezzar. Because remember we said that they're going to leave the stump with all of the roots they're going to bind it in iron. What he's saying is at the end of this seven years, things will get a little bit better. And we read on in verses 24 and 25. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Until you are able to understand humility, 
until you are able to understand that you have no power that God hasn't already given to you to rule over this kingdom. And that is the purpose for Nebuchadnezzar's dream. God intends to strike him with madness for seven periods of time, likely seven years. Usually a period of time in the book of Daniel is years. And after the seven periods of time, the king will understand that the one true God rules over everything. Even King Nebuchadnezzar. That's the purpose of the dream. God wants to show the king his nature. But it's not just of power. I mean, it is of power. Because Daniel and, and this whole passage kind of echoes the passage in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You don't do anything by your own power. You don't do anything by your own might. It is by my spirit, it is by my will that you do anything. You don't rule Babylon because of your own power. You rule it because I said you will be the ruler of Babylon. You rule because I put you in that position. And now I'm going to take it away from you. I'm taking it away. I'm going to give it to somebody else for seven periods of time. Then I'm going to take it back from them. And I'm going to give it back to you. That's what the stump stands for. Nebuchadnezzar will be restored to power after seven periods of time, after he understands who God is is that God is in charge. And Daniel finishes telling the king all that God had given in the interpretation, and then Daniel says something profound to the king in verse 27. Daniel says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. See, Daniel knows of God's mercy. Daniel knows that if the king repents, God may be merciful to him. He remembered what God told the Israelites in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Daniel has experienced that. And he's also experienced the opposite. Because his people, who were called by his name, God's name, did not seek God's face. Did not turn from their wicked ways. Did not humble themselves. Did not pray. And that's why they're in Babylon. Right now. Daniel knows both sides of that statement from God. Nebuchadnezzar certainly wasn't one of God's people. He was not an Israelite. But if we read this passage and we realize that we go, basically go from the start to the end of his reign over 40 years, that God has been working through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, through circumstances for 40 years so that Nebuchadnezzar would come to understand his power and his mercy, 
so that Nebuchadnezzar would come to be able to say humbly and truthfully, God reigns. Heaven reigns, and I only reign because he lets me. Over 40 years, God chased after King Nebuchadnezzar. He revealed himself to the king again and again. And even in this last warning, God tells Nebuchadnezzar that his action that he was taking was going to be for a time and that he would come to the realization, to the understanding that God is a God of power and that he would confess as much. God knew that that would happen. In Daniel chapters 1 through 4, God is pursuing Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan polytheistic king with a God complex and severe anger issues. That's who Nebuchadnezzar was. And we see in verses 28 through 33 that God actually waits another eight years for this realization to happen for King Nebuchadnezzar. It was another year before God chopped down the tree. It was another year before God scattered the birds. And it was another year before Nebuchadnezzar went insane. A whole year. But at the end of that year, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Everything God said would happen, happened. Everything God said about the kingdom, everything God said about the king, it happened. King's walking out on his palace and he's overlooking his kingdom and he's talking about how great it is and how mighty it is and look what I've done. And there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over to you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. It all happened. Daniel told him it would happen. First, his dream told him it would happen. Of course, that confused him. Daniel told him what would happen. Didn't happen for a year. I wonder if the king thought, well, maybe Daniel's wrong. Maybe, maybe he got it wrong, or maybe, maybe I'm good enough that God just wasn't going to do whatever he said he was going to do. Or maybe I'm powerful enough that God couldn't do what he said he was going to do. Of course, none of those things were true. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And Nebuchadnezzar relates this story to his audience, and his audience is all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. So after all of this happened, and seven periods of time pass, and you'll read in Daniel chapter 4 that the, the king's hair got so long that it looked like eagle's wings, and his, uh, uh, his, his nails grew so long that they looked like talons. You ever see anybody grow their nails and they look like talons? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of these things happen. And then the king says at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. He looked toward God 
And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand. That means none can stop him from doing what he will do. And none can say to him, what have you done? To stand in judgment over God. What have you done, God? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All this new glory that I've received, all this new power I've received, all these new lands I've received, all of these things that I have received are because God wanted to give them to me and God can take them away. Everything under creation is God's. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And something King Nebuchadnezzar knows a lot about those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar finally gets it. And it's been 40 years. And he finally gets it. He doesn't just know who God is. Because Daniel and the boys introduced him to who God is. They've even introduced him to some of the things that God can do. But now, because of an event that happened in the king's own life, he is able to understand better the nature of who God is. He understands God's power, and he understands God's mercy. And those are the things that we are called to understand, we are called to understand that God is a sovereign God, that God is all-powerful. First of all, that everything in creation is God's. That God may do with his creation what he wills. And that God has mercy and love for his creation. Those are the things that God calls us to do, to understand. He wants us to know these things. And some of us, he has put through some hard times. Some of us, yeah, things have gone okay. Things have gone fairly good. For some of us, man, I hear some stories and things. I mean, I'm like, it's just one thing after another, after another piled on and, and things are happening. But these people that I talk to who can see God through all of those circumstances, 
and even if they don't understand it at the time, know that God has a plan for them, that God is working through them, through good times and through bad times. And this is what the world needs to know. The world needs to know that we have experienced God's mercy and his grace and his love. A lot of us wonder, how can I share the gospel? How can I be a witness to people? And what I tell them is, think of that word, witness. Think of it in the legal term, witness. When you go and you sit on a witness stand, what are you doing? You're telling what happened. And that's what God calls us to do, to witness the work of Jesus Christ, to tell people what God has done. This is what God has done in my life. This is what God has done in my wife's life. You have people that you encounter every day that don't know God. And you don't have to get up and, and take a Bible and pound them over the head. You just need to say, man, God is good. Let me tell you about something God did for me. Those are the things that help us to share the gospel with every person and every nation. Telling our stories. Telling them what God has done for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you created us and that you created all things. Father, we thank you that you work your good and your perfect will, even though we can't always see it, even though sometimes we even question it. Father, we thank you for your wisdom, for your love. We ask that you would Allow the Holy Spirit to enter into us when we are talking to people who might not know you. Bring to remembrance those things that you have done for us and through us. Let us be a powerful witness of what the work of Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Father, I ask that you would take this church and make it a powerful witness in East Berlin, in Dillsburg, in Enola, in every place where we work, in every place that we live. And Father, right now I pray for all of the students who are heading back into school. Pray for those who are going back into elementary school, middle school, high school, college. Father, we know the challenges that they may face, the challenges that other people will, will put in front of them about their faith. Father, I ask that you would help them to be strong and courageous.
Let the Holy Spirit give them an answer. Let the Holy Spirit guide them through this next school year. And let the Holy Spirit strengthen their faith and allow them to tell their stories so that others might know your power and your mercy and your love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Next week, we're going to meet Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, who doesn't quite get the message from his grandfather about who God is, and ends up coming face to face with God. Well, he comes hand to face with God, but we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 5 next week. In the meantime, I encourage you to tell your stories. As you encounter people, God is putting them into your life, and he's putting them there for a reason. Tell them your stories about the greatness of the things that God has done for you and through you. It is the greatest witness that you can give. God bless you this week.